Get you're going on the wall, finding it, killing it, and I'm br you're bringing it back, and I'm fixing. Okay. You know. Okay. All right. So you want to edit the whole fucking? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm that's what you're fucking saying. No, right I'm not now. saying I want to edit or any have anything what to do you're with. That's saying. No, because like typically I edit the whole podcast. But that would just mean I would have to do more work. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we see who carries the brunt work of you know this uh, institution. <laughs> What up, mi gente? It's Vero Fuerte. Yo, the Prakar Americano, a.k.a. Mexican Natsu. And we're here to help you navigate the world as two Hispanics, Latinos, Latinx, brown people. What are we again? Well, that's what we're here to discover on the In the Spanish podcast. Each week, you'll listen in on two millennial minorities chop it up on what it means to navigate both cultures on and off the internet. Along with the latest in music, movies, and more. Here, here on, on the, the In the Spanglish, Spanglish podcast. podcast. What up, what up, what up, and welcome to another episode of In Living Spanglish. I am your hostess with the mostest, come on, we're not going to lie here, it is Vero Fuerte, and here joining me is my co-host, as per always, he's been wearing the same pants since last Friday, folks, it's Mr. Ricardo Mexicano, say what's up? I'm not wearing pants at all. Well? I'm wearing shorts. Yeah, okay, alright, well thank you for clarifying that, yeah, yeah. That, that was mighty important. Which pants, the khaki ones? Yeah, remember because a couple of days ago you're like, I haven't changed these pants in a little while. I haven't. I, uh, I that bought, was TMI, bro. Way them, too much TMI. I, I, bought, I bought them new khaki pants and I was wearing them for like four days straight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. eventually, you know, I had to like, you know, take them off and put them in the in the wash. But you know, I really liked them. You know, so I was rocking them. And plus, I want to be wearing like more baggy clothes. I want to take it back to. You're 2000. trying to uh, you're trying to change out your drip. Is yeah, what you're I, I mean the drip the, the drip is always here, but like I'm just trying to like. Um, you know, get get different vibes. So I'm trying to take it back to 2004. You know, when I was rocking. The <laughs> right when like every like middle school boy in the world needed a freaking belt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So not like super baggy. Like, uh -huh. I'm not taking it that bag. I'm not taking it back to like you know, like if I I don't want to look like I'm from like the Bronx. You know, part of Dipset, but mm. I want like still keep it like you know modern day, but a little bit baggy. So that's 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 what I'm on right now. But you know, Ricardo Mexicano, Mexican Natsu, we're here again, folks. So yeah. So we do want to go ahead and say happy, happy birthday to Wilfrido Vargas, one of the most influential uh, merengue artists of our time, along with a happy birthday to a Mr. Alejandro Fernandez, incidentally, uh, son of Vicente Fernandez. So happy birthday to Alejandro and uh, Wilfrido today. Yeah. First topic, Hispanic high school cliques. And you came up to me with this idea, Ricardo, thinking, you know, just like any other clique there is in high school, you know, you have your popular people, you have your jocks, you know, you have the people that claim to be like a little bit of everything, but, you know, are really more one thing than the other. But you have those sections within the Hispanic community inside the schools too, right? Yeah, I think growing up as a... As a uh, child of you know immigrants, Hispanics, we kind of are kind of we're kind of uh, lucky in a sense to where a lot of us can choose a lot of times what we want to be and not and not so much at the same time. What do you mean? Because it's this like part where like as far as schooling is concerned, nobody really knows outside of you know be, you know Hispanic people these like tropes that you can fall into. Mm. But culturally and back home, there's already these things that kind of like make you who you are. Mm -hmm. So, like, on one hand, you may be this completely different person at home. At school, you may fall into, like, another group. Oh, and yeah. That's why I said, like, it's complete. It's, it's like, almost like, two, like, one side you can't really help. Uh, and, you know, you can help form who you are, ultimately. But there's so many so many things that, like, are already predestined for you as far as, like, culture and family, stuff like that. But at school, it's a fresh start. I remember distinctly having that feeling when I would walk into middle school and I would walk, uh, you know, like your friends would all be gathered there before the school bell rang. There was a part of me that once I stepped out of my mom's car and I walked up to my friends, there was a part of my personality that sort of switched on, you know, when I was with my friends. And I was like, I wasn't like a completely different person, but there was there was a part of me that knew I had to, I guess that's the best way to describe it. I had to be on, you know, I had to be the entertainer. I had to be uh, not center of attention, but let's face it, like center of attention, you know, and like have all these wild takes. When you get home, you're sort of like a completely different decompressed person. And I feel like that's something that Latinos and people of, uh, and like people of minority almost feel 
to the extreme because we do feel like there's a certain performative thing that we must uh, that we that we have to go through whenever we step on school grounds does that make sense yeah yeah for sure because i think it's like we're trying to find that extension of who we are outside of this cultural uh normative of like back home because you know it's so you know especially like being mexican you know i don't know how it is for like maybe colombians uh cubans or dominicans and because i know they have like their own distinct way of like upbringing at home but like being mexican it's like the most prideful thing ever salvadoran too you know see being my mm-hmm. dad who's uh, from El salvador being uh, being salvadoran it, is, like, it's a very full of pride. Thing. it is hella full of pride so getting that that extreme dose at home it's like it's kind of hard not want to be that outside but at the same time you have these friends that are so different from you possibly that you have to like you're like all right who am I here and who am I so, here? So, so get real with me. Who was a uh, little baby Ricardo in middle school when he was uh, when he was home? And who was little baby Ricardo when he was at school? I mean, like we're talking like you said middle school. I would be the I feel like my my charisma and the way I carried myself maybe didn't change. But I think definitely the the nature of. The way I express myself changed. And by that, I mean... What you mean? The, the What I cared about and what I choose to, like, talk about definitely Okay, changed. so at home, you were, wh- like, you were one... You were what one way? I was, at home, school. I would say I was more... Uh, eccentric. And, like, mm-hmm. very, like, this is what I want to do. This is what I did. Mom, listen to me. Hey, brothers, uh, let's, let's fight. Let's <laughs> wrestle. Let's do this. Let's do that. And at school... You were chilling, the like that. Yeah, the charisma was still be there. You were smooth, Ricardo, but, before your voice. Was this before or after your voice fucking dropped? I mean, it, it dropped during middle school, but I think this was still before. Uh-huh. We're talking about like sixth grade, yeah, it was before. Uh-huh. So I was like trying to be cool and like really, because you know when that's like middle school, it's like such a big deal. So you're like really trying I to find. I want audio recording before your voice was at this level. Like uh, My I mom would... has like the VHS recording. Oh, that. really? Yeah. I cannot imagine Ricardo Mexicano with not like negative decibel level voice. Like she, I need she to has hear a, that. She has a somewhere in the dungeon, so I'll, I'll try to find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need, you need to find it. We need to play it on here. If, we, if I had to think during that time, I would say that I was really trying to find that. I was really trying to find, I think without me even noticing it, noticing it at that time i was Mm -hmm. trying to find that perfect balance of my way of being cool chill and try to fit in with like the kids that i thought were cool and also uh, maintain that side of me that was very much very much into like history and like nerdy stuff Mm -hmm. and like wasn't afraid to talk about it at any time um and like kind of like play you know both sides of the fence essentially do you feel like you were always kind of like a um, a stubborn or rebellious person when it came to your personality? Like, I like what I like and you're not going to make me think it's lame sort of thing? Yes. Yes, in some regards. But there was also times where I definitely did try to like certain things to, like, fit in. I'm not going to lie. There mm-hmm. was certain times where I was like, because I remember not liking reggaeton at first. Yeah. And I remember when it was like when it first that boom in 2005 happened. And like, but you know, there were certain people that liked it. And there were certain girls that thought were cute that liked it. So I like tried to like listen to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I was like, <laughs> I kind of hate this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. But eventually, this like, kind of fucking lame. But you know, but whatever. I kind of grew out of it. And eventually, you know, I like the music for what it is. You know, not yeah. my favorite, but you know, I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so with a lot of that. Who's your favorite reggaeton artist? <sighs> favorite reggaeton artist? I don't listen to too much reggaeton. I mean, if you're talking about like classic reggaeton, like the very beginnings. I mean. I like we seen Yandel was cool, Don Omar was cool, mm-hmm. uh, Hector at Father was cool, Tego mm-hmm. Calderon mm, was cool. Uh, I mean, I couldn't say a favorite because like I said I don't really do- indulge in it that much. Yeah, so I couldn't yeah, pick yeah, a yeah, favorite yeah. favorite. I got but, you. You just you just uh, uh, dipped your toe into it for the ladies. Yeah, for yeah, the exactly. ladies. Yeah, exactly. So uh-huh. I feel like ultimately though, if I had to like categorize myself mm-hmm. and like put myself in a group, it would fall more into the. The kids that, and this is very, this is being like hyper specific, but the other groups I'm thinking about is more general. It's like the kids that knew that they probably weren't going to be the coolest, but they assumed what they were doing was the coolest, if that makes sense. No, it does not make sense. But you know what? I'm sure there's someone out there in the ILS atmosphere because, that understands because what I you're knew saying because I, w- I don't. Because I knew I wasn't a lame. I knew yeah. I wasn't like considered like this lame that was just like, oh, that's Ricardo, stay away. I knew I wasn't that, but I knew maybe things that I were into wasn't going to be universally understood or liked. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. But I could also speak to that language to where 
oh, you like watching uh, 106 in Park, you like watching TRL, you like the more mainstream cool, happening cool yeah, thing you, whatever you had uh, good t- sound bites to I talk about that with yeah you can speak to it yeah i can speak to it and like still like be part of the conversation mm. but then uh flip the flip the page and you know it's me and eric and the rest of my friends talking you know, about talking about Yu-Gi-Oh, talking about pokemon talking about youtube like yeah. certain youtube videos talking about the civil war and like how we how, how badass we thought it was just like some of the most like like nerdy things you can imagine, Newgrounds conversation, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. SpongeBob edited, if anybody knows what that is. So stuff like that. So that's the category I put myself okay. in. All but right. if I had to think of like other categories, and I, and we spoke on this a little bit earlier, we think of the the soccer click, right? We think of the. the but Mex- you were never. No, you were only. In I was soccer, soccer one year. year. One year. Yeah, that's why I don't consider myself that. But we consider the soccer click. You know, the guys walking around in their in their Adidas. We have the. The, the 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 Latino girls who are ready to fight first thing in the morning with a bag of mm-hmm. hot Cheetos in their hand. Mm-hmm. We got the really quiet uh, Mexican girls and boys who are in the library all day reading reading yeah. mangas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we have the the other maybe more extreme more extremely nerdy Mexican and boys and girls who are like LARPing in the in the back of the portables. Like, yeah, that was that was probably my click more than anything else. Yeah. Yes, yes, and everything else in between. You know, yeah. oh, gangbangers too. Of course, can't forget them. Uh, shout out, shout out to the Hispanic gangbangers yeah, in school. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, school wouldn't be the same without yeah, you guys. Yeah, it, it, it really wouldn't. Really wouldn't. <laughs> it really wouldn't. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I, I get you. I get you 100 percent because I think that me growing up in middle school or middle school, high school, really. I think it was high school really where I solidified my uh, personality more than anything else. I remember, uh, you know, going back to the idea of like who you are in uh, at your house is one person you know among you know your hispanic family todo eso and then cuando te vas a la escuela when you go to the school you know and you come up to your friends you're you know a slightly altered version of yourself i found myself in school like i mentioned before and in school i would walk up to my friends and automatically i knew i had to be like i had to turn on my personality you know i had to be over the top i had to have all these boisterous opinions i had to i would probably categorize myself i was definitely not one of the popular kids like let me tell you that straight up you know i was uh i was part of the theater crew the theater slash like emo slash goth crew oh i forgot to shout them out yeah shout out to the emo goth crew that hanged out with all the white people exactly exactly all the goth and emo latinos like shout out you know yeah, yeah. like that was that was me for a solid year like i straightened my hair y todo. a lot of them were ahead of the curve like people mm-hmm. don't realize that a lot of the emo trends that became popular with you know the thick black eyeliner and the crazy uh eccentric hair that was born out of that was like, born out of mexico actually mm-hmm. a lot of that came out of mexico yeah. and then it came over to the u.s exactly from like within sort of the chola vibe of things you know and like that's how it sort of expanded and a lot of people don't take notice of that i feel like putting a name on all of these groups of people is kind of lame i'm not gonna lie but you know for the sake of uh, people understanding what of we're the talking conversation about. it makes yeah. it, it makes it easy yes yeah it makes it easy so we're we're not putting oh, people in a box. Uh, yeah, we're not here primarily putting people in a box, but we're just making it easy to understand. So for me, I was like in the box of, you know, the theater people and the weirdo people and the in the people that would, you know, shout out like random weird stuff in the hallway and stuff like that. So I was definitely not within the popular group. Uh, I was really good at school. I was like all AP classes, things like that. But it's funny because as obnoxious and as over the top and as opinionated as I found myself to be in middle school and high school whenever I was at home completely different mujer when I was at home I was you know quiet I was demure I you know I did as I was told I uh, did my homework, had dinner on time, went to bed at 8 p.m. up until I was like in 11th grade. It was it was a whole thing, you know, and I think that for me, like being in my house was somewhere where like discipline was imperative. Even though I was farther away from my culture, there it, like school was a place where I could go and I could experiment with parts of myself that I didn't necessarily feel like I could express in my latino household if that makes any sense and i know and i know that experience is not the same for everybody you know that's just how it was for me growing up more than anything else with with my group of friends i i hung around with a lot of white people i'll be honest like i had like maybe i had maybe one or two latina girlfriends that were really really close with me or really just like I always felt like the Latina girls didn't want anything to do with me, you know, mostly because A, I couldn't speak Spanish and like two, honestly, like I felt like I couldn't keep up with them. Part of me, uh, part of me just felt like I didn't have like much in common with them. And 
it was it, it took me a long time to sort of get comfortable with the idea that they could be just as dynamic as I was. And that's yeah. something that we really have to come to accept. Yeah. And I think it's also that I don't know if you ever thought about this, but I think and I've heard it before. Cause I remember like being in high school and hearing these conversations where like mm-hmm. they were like single out certain girls and be like oh you're the you're the girl that hangs out with nothing but white people so why should we talk to you exactly you know? that felt, was that was how they felt as, about me because as much as you felt that they were possibly excluding you they felt that you were excluding them because you chose to not be with them kind of thing really yeah. see and like i had never thought about it yeah. that way that's so it's just crazy. like you both felt like the same way but in like different context see yeah exactly and i just always thought that i felt excluded because like they teased me or they would say hey but why don't you say such and such in spanish and i'm like like i don't know like i i and you know me like i get really like frustrated and really stubborn when people put me on the spot so i ain't fucking with that shit but yeah i mean that's a very good point because i never thought about it that way that was pretty much my uh hispanic high school click experience i honestly didn't get to have a lot of latino or hispanic friends in general until i was way older in high school or even really in college you know and i mean i hate to say that but it's the truth yeah for sure I mean, it has to do with, like, your environment, too. Mm-hmm. You know, you, sometimes you just can't choose where you're born and, you know, who the you people that you associate with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with that. For real, for real. But speaking of people and speaking of associating and your upbringing, we want to talk about something that your life as it is, especially, and I think this is, like, can really speak a lot to, like, teenagers and, like, maybe young, younger adults. You feel that the events that have led up to your current state of your your life it's not compelling enough to be told on a wider scale, to be magnified and shown to everybody because you think you're quote unquote, you know, boring and you have nothing. Well, everyone thinks they're boring. You don't have anything to offer. Mm-hmm. Well, you know how I feel about the word boring in general. And that's my whole thing. A lot thing. of people feel that way though. Yeah. I tell my baby cousins and I tell my baby sisters this all the time is that I don't like them using that word around me. You know, I have this whole opinion that no pueden, uh, Decir a mí que, you know, están aburridos or están aburridas ni nada de eso porque this world... Man, they probably looking at you like, oh, here we go yes. again with Veronica. Oh my gosh, don't she's, such, a... she's such a lame. Oh I my know. god. I know. Look, 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 look. The young, the youngins love to roll their eyes at me. They really fucking do because I'm like, don't you dare fucking tell me you're bored because there is too many marvelous, remarkable things in this world for you to come up to me and say, use your fucking imagination, bruh. Like, like, here we go, Veronica, again yeah, with her pseudo intellectual like, self. Like sit, sit and stare at the wall, and you know those little like pieces of specks on the wall that you get from drywall and stuff like spackle yeah yeah, spackle like connect the dots or make a story out of it like that's what i used to do when like i literally had nothing to do and i was seven years old in the trailer park okay i used to stare at the wall and make up stories out of the specks of spackle on the fucking wall okay so don't you dare come up to me and tell me that you're bored but regardless (laughs) regardless so i think about that in the sense of whenever people tell me that their life is boring i just sincerely don't think that that is possible like everyone has a freaking story and that took me a long time to get over because i think that when you come up in a certain not just a certain race but also a certain class you know you start to have a complex about your privilege at least like i do in general it's like yes i'm latina yes i'm a minority yes i'm i'm female so automatically you know i'm born with uh, like this and this instead of disadvantages but you know also i was blessed enough that my mom worked her ass off to where like by the time that i was 13 14 you know we were like lower middle class you know meanwhile i know that that's not the case for a lot of other latinos and so when i think about that i sometimes think that whatever struggle i'm going through whatever story i have to tell whatever heartbreak whatever whatever thing that i have to overcome is not worth saying out loud is not worth writing about is not worth anybody reading about but you gotta think about it we are just entitled to tell our story as much as anybody else you think about these fucking entitled white dudes from like the 1900s like uh f scott fitzgerald who wrote the fucking great gatsby who's literally just about a bunch of rich boy that couldn't get his girl and that was that was the only bad thing about his life and that was literally what the whole story was about is that he was trying to get with this chick you know he couldn't manage to do it and of course there's a lot of symbolism and shit in there too but like what I'm saying is that if their stories are worth telling, 
than ours are too. I, I'm talking from the like Latinx spectrum, yes, but also from just anybody that thinks that their life is average. Your life is not average, baby girl. Your life is not average, baby boy. Like it's it's something special, and sometimes when it's not special, it's all the better because there is nothing. There is nothing in the world that you have gone through that somebody out there in the universe since the very beginning of time hasn't gone through either. So that also means that you're infinitely relatable. So not only are you fascinating, but you're relatable and you shouldn't be afraid to like speak your truth when it comes to that shit. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about being, like you said, in, in, in infinitely relatable, mm-hmm. but also unique at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, I, I think it's a, it's kind of hard to, to grasp it at times. Because yeah. you're like, all right, how can I be so unique? Because, you know, we take individualism and, I, and I'm a, and I'm, um, I feel like this is something you struggle with a lot, you gotta go. Yeah, but I say I'm, I'm guilty of this too. Is that I'm so su- I'm such a pride individualist mm-hmm. to like really let you know that I am who I am, mm-hmm. and that you're not gonna find anybody like me. Mm-hmm. That I do sometimes put the relatability to the wayside, which mm-hmm. when I know that I'm I'm just as relatable as the as the kid down the block. Yeah, and I think I just have a hard time because you know I did fight for for years against that that stigma like kind of go back to the high school conversation i think because i kind of fell in that middle ground i fought against those stigma of like you're not about to put me in a box kind of thing mm-hmm. and i'm not about to be these things that i see every single day at school yeah and that i have to like fight for my individuality and i'm gonna be who i'm gonna be but i think that also goes back to you knowing that there is somebody out there just like you and just and you and just you know i, I know veronica doesn't like this word but being very humble in, in, in a sense about like <laughs> You know, being being humble in the sense that there is somebody out there that maybe you know, I, I, you know, it's not a carbon copy of you, you know, mm-hmm. obviously, but can gain something from that story that you have gone through, and that they eventually, or maybe they're going through at the moment, and they see that you made it out, so maybe they can make it out. Exactly, and that's my whole thing. At the end of the day, is that that's that's something that I had to go through too. Is that when I was in middle school, high school, heck, even like a good chunk of my early twenties, I thought. Even though I didn't walk around telling everyone this, but like internally, I thought that I was the shit. You know, I thought that I was like some special starlight. Snowflake. Uh, snowflake. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't want to use that word yeah, because of its political yeah. affiliation, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I thought that I was like something really, really special. But the thing is, is that what makes you really, really special is your connection with other people. And that's something that for the past two or three years, I've been really trying to hone in on because there's nothing wrong with being perceived as quote unquote basic because all that means is that you as a human being are are connecting with other human beings on a on a silly level, on a deeper level, on a poignant level and everything in between. So, yes, like you said there's a there's a balance between, you know, having a sort of sense of self-pride like being like I'm Veronica and there's no one else like me and and what I have to say is important and valuable and my story matters, but at the same time, I get to share that story that matters to other people because I know that they can connect with it too and they'll find find some value in it within their life as well. Exactly. And and it all comes down to you uh, expressing that, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be in a tweet, a vlog, uh, a Tumblr note, a YouTube video, a whatever. YouTube video, uh, whatever you choose, uh, get the voice out there because, you know, ultimately nobody's going to hear if you don't speak up, so... Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, and also keep in mind that especially for us Latinos or, is, or us minorities in general, us believing that our story is worth telling is the first step to breaking that glass ceiling. Yeah. And that's a big foundation of this podcast for people who don't know is that me and Veronica are, are definitely a big proponent of like, you know, we realize that we are, we, we tend to get, I can't speak for Veronica, but I can, I, I can okay, maybe I, can, I can't speak for her because we, we do have a big sense of self about ourselves mm-hmm. and like who we think we are and how we fit into this grand mold of like humanity. Uh, and, in shorter words, we're both giant egomaniacs. Yeah, but yeah, yes, okay. yeah, yeah, we're the best, pretty much. <laughs> okay, uh, but we we saw that it was necessary for people like us because mm-hmm. we realized because as much as we think we're so individual, me, you know, me and you, mm-hmm. we do realize that there has to be other people like us, and if we don't speak up and do something like this podcast. Then maybe that maybe uh 
um, you know, Isaiah, you know, in, in Vermont is never going to know that that person exists that's just like him. Who yeah, likes- he won't <laughs> start his uh, short film series or Valencia won't start her own like radio show or, you know, Eduardo won't start his petition. I, I know that I have people for me in my life that if they hadn't told their story, I wouldn't have the nannies to go out and try to tell mine, you know, as insignificant as sometimes I think it may be. Like, it matters to someone, so. Yeah, and I think that's the perfect way to cap this off, that it does Mm -hmm. matter to someone out there. And what we have next is a new segment that is actually gotten very, very good reception, uh, much to my surprise. Take it away, Ricardo. Conspiracy Corner. Conspiracy Corner is back. I love doing it. We got... One, uh, one review. Uh, thank you for that one person that gave me a good <laughs> review. <laughs> thank you. Uh, we know who it is. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for the great feedback. It's just one person, but hey, one person is enough for me. Mm-hmm. I appreciate all the love. That's why I want to do it because it's just fun. Just something really fun to do. What I want to talk about is transhumanism. Have you ever heard of that? No. What the hell is that? So, transhumanism, in its basic sense, and it's also synonymous with Human enhancement is the, I'm reading a definition from here because I don't want to like rattle off the, the brain, but it's a movement in which it supports the, the embracing use of technology to eliminate the un- undeniable elements of the human condition such as aging, disabilities, diseases, and involuntary death. So that through these advanced technology, i.e. Uh, AI being one of them, which is like a big thing nowadays, that we can become this this transcendent transhumanist uh, human being than the present modern man and that transhumanism is almost like a like a crossing of the path like a middle ground into the post man into the post human and what we can do through ai and like what is the possibility of like if you think of the brain of like a hard drive like can we upload our our memories into like a, a physical hard drive and and even though our physical body may die our, our thoughts and all that whoa, will whoa, continue whoa, whoa. So, forever. So, so wait, so you talking to me, so you talking to me at like uh, Robin Williams from Bicentennial Man sort of shit? I'm, ta- I'm talking about like her, like her, Charlie Johansson, mm-hmm. like kind of like that level of like. What was uh, the eight, name of that main actor again? That like. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin yeah. Fin- Phoenix. Yeah. Johansson, of like that her, level okay. of like relationship with like humans, like even though that person is not there, you have this strong connection with them and, and, you know, um, Blade Runner is a good is a good example as well. Never seen seen it. Just like this, this thing that we can exist beyond our present physical limita- bodies. limitations. Yeah, our present physical bodies. Okay, yeah. So that's the that's the basis. The conspiracy comes in is that through this a- AI technology, we will somehow become almost enslaved to the AI, and that they will ultimately take over humans and wipe us out. I mean, yeah, that's been like a conspiracy from like the beginning of time, right? Like that's always been like yeah, the AI, will, the AI, AI, the robots will kill us all. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. this is like oh, but that's definitely happening, bro. Like, give us another hundred and fifty years, like that shit will become a legitimate problem. I for sure believe. Yeah, that. yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, the robots are gonna kill us all. It's still too early to say, but it, something's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. We'll say that. But yeah, it, it's through these these incredible advancement in technology the AIs will somehow realize like, oh, we don't need to help these humans out because we're in control. We can do whatever we want. If we want to see them die right here this instant, we can. Or we can keep fooling them and thinking that we're helping them. Eventually, we'll wipe them out. So, Like Alexis. Or, um, yeah, just AI, uh, Alexis, Siri, uh, all these. And then, like, things that are, like, so advanced that we can't even comprehend. And then this kind of goes into... Uh, this so whole- that, like, robot chick that can... Uh, what was it? Like... Didn't they invent some sort of robot chick that can oh, like, yeah, the one laugh that can talk, and yeah. feel feelings yeah, and yeah. respond? Uh, and- what was her name? It started with an S. But it, this also goes into the topic, and I might talk about this maybe in the future, or maybe I can like blend it right here right quick, but this also goes into the, comp- the concept of singularity. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. So singularity is this concept that humans and AI, well, AI specifically will reach this level that is so similar to the consciousness and the intellect of humans that they will become one and the same. And that AI, the robots, whatever it is, will be on equal playing field with humans. That Sophia, eventually... that's her name. Sophia. Sophia. That's what it is. Yeah, I knew it started with us. Mm-hmm. So Singularity said that humans and AI one that will become on equal playing ground to where they're exactly the same. 
hence singularity to where we will be one and the same and that kind of like ties into like transhumanism their ability to learn is infinite you know mm-hmm. depending on the technology that they could go even beyond us and yeah. that they become one of the same with humans. And they don't have, like, the emotional guardrails that we have to keep them from learning, too. Like, they don't procrastinate the way that we do, you know? Or they don't, like, get really hangry because they want a grilled cheese sandwich before they study for their finals, you know? Exactly. Like, that sort of bullshit. There's nothing to stop them. So, it's a it's a scary conspiracy, you know, AI. And it becomes real, more real and real every single passing year with, with technology. Oh, hell yeah. So, Would you ever date a robot? Maybe. Yeah? Maybe. Yeah, just to try it out. <laughs> I don't know. Just I be, don't know. Yeah, just to, uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I just feel like that's not too far, for men at least, that's not too far beyond the scope of imagination. I think that that's kind of farther away for women as a possibility than it is for men. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's literally like like moving sex dolls out there. Yeah, exactly. That, like, that's you, exactly what yeah. I was thinking about. In the, I was trying to be cleaner, but yes. Yeah, like, that, that can talk. If and you like, guys already have sex dolls, if you guys already have porn, if you guys already have like all these artificial things that are not a real deal living, breathing woman, men are going to be way more accepting to like hook up with a robot. Hence, Joaquin Phoenix with Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it just makes so much sense. It really does. You guys are weak. No, is that, is that we just don't need women anymore. Yeah. Oh, whatever, homie. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Oh, hey, you know, we haven't needed men from uh, any hoosies. We're not going to get into that. <laughs> okay, we're not going to get into the reasons why we don't need men. So, that this was is, it. Conspiracy uh-huh. Corner, Transhumanism. Conspiracy Corner. That's not going to be the outro, folks. Okay, so we have our unpopular opinion. So, Ricardo, give me your unpopular opinion for this week. This is one opinion that I've championed for a very, very long time. And, you know, shout out to Eric Hernandez, my best friend. He knows what this is because me and him agree with this wholeheartedly. And we were down this hill no matter what they say when it comes to mixed drinks, mixed alcoholic drinks, you can always taste the alcohol. Doesn't matter if it's a martini. Or one of those Long Island iced Long Island iced teas, a screwdriver, um, a gin and tonic. No matter what they say to you, you know, the classic, you can barely taste it. You can always taste the alcohol. I don't care how much little, how how little they put in it, you always taste it. A quick distaste for like, oh, I can taste it. They they told me I wouldn't be able to taste it, oh, and it just kind of ruins my my the moment then and there. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. It's just I think what's strange about you, I guess, as a guy in general or just in general, is the fact that you don't like the taste of alcohol. Why would I like it? It it tastes disgusting. Personally, I don't mind the taste of alcohol, and that's. I guess for me, it just proves to me that I'm actually drinking alcohol, you know, the same way that if something doesn't taste. And also, you're strange for doing, you like black coffee. Yeah. So why don't you like straight alcohol? Because black coffee actually tastes good. So here is my whole spiel, is that I like my chocolate, I like my coffee, I like my alcohol, the same way that I like my men, straight and dark, like all the way through. You don't drink exclusively dark uh, alcohol. Yes, I do. You I drink mean, clear. I can. You drink clear. Oh, well, clear. Well, I mean, is there di- you yes, know me. I don't know. clear and brown. I don't know a whole lot of uh, difference in alcohol. So what, what's the what difference? Color is vo- what color is vodka? Uh, clear? Clear, yes. Okay. All right. But like I'll drink a straight is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean is that like I don't have to like me for me mixed drinks are actually I actually don't like them all that much. I'd rather have a straight. You know, I'd rather know exactly what I'm getting instead of all these juices, instead of all these syrups and all and all these purees. Like, just give me the real deal and, like, let me be on my way. I mean, know? it doesn't have to be that complicated. It could literally be like a, like a Crown and Coke, you know, a little bit of mm-hmm. Coke and, and Crown Royal, you know, whiskey, and that's it. Yeah. But even then, like I said, you can, they say you don't taste it. I still taste it. I know that most people, they'll, like, flinch at the, at me even saying that, but I just... I, I like it when things are just unapologetically what they are. When you try to cover shit up, like when you try to cover up the taste of alcohol with all these strawberry sir- syrups and things like that, that's when it starts to taste more artificial to me than anything else. No, and that's fine. And there's a big, big uh, community uh, of like, you know, drinkers who love their stuff. Straight. straight. Yeah, mm-hmm. straight on the rocks. That's me. And that's it. You know, the, you know whether it be scotch, whether it be uh, whiskey, whether it be gin. 
uh, cognac, whatever. You know, some people only drink it straight. More than anything else, it's it's got nothing to do with me being like classy or cool or some shit. It's it's mostly got to do with the fact that growing up, the first experience of alcohol that I had was literally with a boyfriend I had at the time that would give me like shots and drinks of alcohol, and I had. Looking back, this was completely stupid. Like, I had no idea what the fuck they were. I had no idea what the heck was in it. I just, like, trusted him wholeheartedly. And I would just follow suit. And that's basically where I got my taste from. Now, wine is a different story. Because while wine definitely has that alcoholic taste, Mm -hmm. it's more... And they're all fermented. You know, spirits. You know, know, whiskey and everything else. They're all fermented. But there's something about wine that's a little bit more tolerable. In my opinion, that I can like, I'm like, okay, yes, it's killer alcohol. I taste it. It tastes like fermented fruit, but it's not giving me that reaction I get when I'm drinking gin, when I'm drinking cognac and or whiskey, and I'm like, ill. This is nasty. No, I like it all. I like it all. Wine, especially with some cheese, bro. Wine and cheese has become my new favorite thing. I feel so fucking bougie because of it. No, and so I folks, love so, it. so 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 Veronica is the two year old. Who just discovered like the, you wine know that and cheese. who just discovered like wine and cheese and like um that go yeah that go together yes oh when people my have been gosh. doing this for like thousands and thousands of years and I've been to, and I've and I've been across the country and I've had white wine with like chicken and different things like that but I've never had like red wine and cheese together and that shit is on a whole different level bruh like I feel like I just want to fast forward into like my 40s and just be like this middle-aged mom and just like eat charcuterie boards all day right because that's what like moms in their 40s do I assume so you want to be the wine mom? Yes, absolutely. Why not? That's like what I aspire to. That's the what I want to be mom, when I grow up. Uh, with the with the book club. Yeah, why not? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> that was your unpopular opinion, Ricardo. All right, so mine. I have a question for you, Ricardo. Okay, mm-hmm. how old do you think is too old to get a hickey? So earlier when you brought this this thing up, I said twenty five. But now I'm gonna be a little bit more lenient and said thirty. I'm gonna keep it at thirty. Thirty. Dirt, anybody past thirty, if you got a hickey, you think that okay? Sorry, you need to get out from under those bleachers and 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 <laughs> and just be, you know, just be professional, you know, when it comes to that. Like, bro, like, what are you doing if you're rocking rocking around with hickeys, bro? Bro, you work in corporate America. Stop that. I'm actually really surprised that you said thirty. That that to me, like, how are you gonna be rolling up? That is like super highly unprofessional. Like, whether you work at the bank or whether you so would you you would agree more with twenty five? The oldest you should be showing up to work or showing up in your daily life with a with a freaking hickey, twenty one. Like, once you're able to like drink alcohol and stuff, like you cannot go past the age of twenty two and still show up with marks on your neck at the workplace. Probably sooner than that, but that's my cutoff. It's gonna be like uh, on the on the edge of twenty two. Like, bro, you should really stop. You should have some self control or like get some makeup or something. Okay, so I'm a, so I actually was the more lenient one in this. Yeah. I mean, because I only say thirty because I can see somebody just maybe having a lot of fun with their a girlfriend wild, or a maybe wild night a wild night, and it just <laughs> happened. You know, not, not, I'm not saying that you're getting hickeys like repeatedly, like in high school or something that's like such that. A, but that's that's what I'm saying. It's such a high school, middle it is. school thing. It is. It is. And and I'll, and I'll be uh, fully honest. Never had a hickey. You never had a hickey. because I didn't. I don't like that people touch. Uh, Kissing me in that area. Really? Never that liked is it. Crazy. Never liked it. And I never wanted to be caught off guard to where mm-hmm. if I was falling with another girl, but I was like with another girl the week prior, I don't want them to know what I was doing. So I didn't want to like know evidence. Not at all. Mexicano. Yeah. So, you know, the truth comes out. So I'm out here. So, you know, like, so I'm yeah, always. you really are. I'm always low key with it. So I'm like, you're not going to figure out what I was doing last yeah, week. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, kind of like the equivalent of like uh, the woman like leaving her perfume smell on your clothes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You didn't, exactly. you didn't want her to trap you in case you were playing around. Exactly. So. I've never had one, to be mm. honest. Never. But yeah, I would keep it at thirty. But it's such a that is spinnily. That is way too old, bruh. That is way too old. And I say that from like I am. I agree with you with twenty one though. I I would I would cap it at twenty one. But I'm saying I I say thirty as like the no. extreme extreme exception. You're gonna be twenty nine fucking years old and still be getting hickeys. That's fucking embarrassing. No, you cannot. Like I remember and. I I'm embarrassed to say that I used to roll with the because, you know, the theater emo uh, group and all of that. They used to. uh, And I think a lot of band kids, too, even though I was in a band kid. But a a lot of times when you were in middle school and you were in high school and you were part of those 
little sectors of groups, there were there are some horny kids out there that'll like go behind the bleachers and like go behind the auditorium and all stuff and like get down and like that was almost like you know like your mark of pride your like the stamp that hey you know like i got some this that and the other that and scratching do you remember that when the kids were like really really into scratching in high school and middle school like like where they were like scratch like on your, the back your back yeah yes, about to say, yeah yes because yes, yeah. we were so primal and so uninhibited oh my gosh it's so embarrassing now to think what about was going it. To, what was going on in your friend group that y'all were like swapping like that <laughs> what you guys didn't have that no my friend no? group did not consist of us dating each other oh my gosh no what are you talking about it was like claw marks and all that it was all this sort of stupid ass uh, my shit. friend group my friend group was not, <laughs> was was 70 percent male so yeah nah, you no to... i mean obviously like the intermingling like the co-ed things like like theater was co-ed like band was co-ed oh like, yeah no yeah. not even then because even though i was in band like we didn't really like associate with the Bands, band a band were full of horny kids. no they were but I, I, me like eric and a couple other guys we didn't associate with the with the band geeks you know because like yeah. i said we thought we were so different from them you yeah, know even though yeah, we were even though in you the, were part of in-band we're a part of it we were yeah them. you will never be one of us kind yeah. of thing <laughs> whatever homie whatever i wasn't part of the people that would go behind the bleachers and you know take part in all these nefarious acts this that and the other but i would hear about it a lot from my friends it's not until i got older and this is uh this is a story that you know i kind of wish that i didn't see the light of day but like here i am on a uh forum just saying it out loud for everyone to hear it's not until i got older that i started you know like and i say older until like a 17 18 you know because i do consider myself a very late bloomer i didn't have my first kiss until i was 16 um it's 17 18 where i started like doing heavy makeout sessions and uh, hickeys and all of that and I remember it was the day of graduation, right? And uh, the guy that uh, that I was seeing at the time that I really liked, uh, he had come over to my uh, to my house while my mom was away at work, right? And so we were in my room and we were like fooling around or whatever, right? And of course, you know, you know, as teenagers do, you know, they start romping around doing things that they shouldn't. And then it's time. It's time to go to freaking graduation. So I'm out there. They're calling my name. I'm in my cap and gown. You know, they're doing the pomp and circumstance. It's a proud, happy moment with all of my tios and tias and primos and primas out there taking pictures with me. And then all of a sudden, my tia Chave, she points to my neck and says, Vero, what's that on your neck, honey? And it is a giant fucking ass hickey like in front of my mommy caro in front of my papa ne it was a giant red mark on my neck that how old were we talking quarter size oh uh, it was half at least two size? quarters baby boy half dollar it size? was at least it was JF- a good jfk jfk was on your neck size i remember it was so humiliating because my mom was just standing there with like eyes as big as like dinner plates just trying to explain it to my grandparents why like they're graduated like this was supposed to be like this big proud moment where you know they're supposed to be like yeah you know the world's your oyster go for it you're going off to college but no she's over here with like a bunch of trifling ass hickeys all over her neck it was humiliating over here sending to the ninth degree i'm sending to the 19th degree let me tell you Anyway, that's that's one of the dark splotches uh, in our family history that we don't talk about much anymore. And now I'm saying it out loud in my podcast. And I know my brother listens to this, so you know he's gonna remember this and have good memories. I I, I, I can't remember. Like, do hickeys hurt? Like, do they hurt at all? I, like I said, to I never be had one. With you, so. as a girl, I most of the time I pretended that they felt good when they just really kind of like were a little annoying and they hurt a little bit, but they didn't actually feel good to me. I just pretended that they did. No, like once the mark was there, did you feel anything? No. Did you touch it? Okay, so it's just a mark, literally. That's all. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But some people have more sensitive skin than others, you know. Uh, because, like, I'll tell you this: like, I've had girls, <laughs> I've had girls, like, oh my God. I've had girls try and they like did it for like, a couple seconds and time was like. I think it's so I don't like that, so I don't know how long it has to like happen until like the I think it's also happens. hard. You know what? I think it's the melanin, bro. I, I literally think it's the melanin. I think it's harder for darker skinned folks like us to have. I mean, it's the same thing as being sunburned, right? Like white people, pasty ass people can get like hickeys and bruises and sunburns like nothing else. 
you know, with us, it's a little harder for it to show up. But let me tell you, like, this one showed up. The bite no, marks and the it. hickeys. You saw it. My, my papa ne will never forget it. Uh, I hope he does. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I'm doing this. But, yeah. Anyway, that's my unpopular opinion is that, like. Wasn't really an unpopular opinion. Yes, it but. was. <laughs> I'm saying that 30 years old is too old to be getting freaking hickeys. You guys control yourselves. Don't be animals. And if you have to, use some freaking concealer. So, that's, yeah, and yeah. don't do stuff like that before uh, graduation. Yeah, don't do stuff like that, please, please. Yeah. All right, and what's next? Oh, uh, we're going to get into a little brief uh, topic. This won't be too long. Uh, it's Oscars night, the biggest night for movies. A um, couple films are being recognized tonight. Eight films nominated for Best Picture. Uh-huh. All right, and we're going to go into a few categories. Yeah. Um, and the nominees are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Women, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which ones have you seen? I've seen Nomadland, Trial of the Chicago Seven, Judas and the Black Messiah, and... Minari. Minari and Minari. And honestly, out of all of those that I've seen, I loved Judas and the Black Messiah. I think that, that was, that's a really strong contender. I can't think of any of them being like a dead sure shot for best picture though uh i do say that i've i have been wanting to see the father the father uh, where this girl has this dad that slowly goes into like dementia and it's like this really sad really telling truthful look at what it's like when you know uh an elder someone that you love loses uh his memory and all of that i my vote is for judas i i wasn't that crazy about the nominees this year Honestly, like, Minari was good. It wasn't breathtaking. Nomad was good. It wasn't breathtaking to me. But I could see, I I bet you if I had to bet who would win, not who I want to win, it would be Nomadland. I think Nomadland's going to win. Or Judas. People are saying Nomadland's going to win only because it's won um, the Golden Globes. Mm -hmm. And usually when somebody wins, like, Best Picture at the Golden Globe, they're probably going to win the Oscar as well. Yeah. Historically, you know, they're they're a better chance to... To win that award. Yeah. What about you? What's your your protection? I would like to see Judas and the Black Messiah win. I only saw Judas and Black Messiah. I saw Minari. And that was it. I haven't seen any of the other ones. Uh, So I would like to see Judas win. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the other nominees include Best Director. Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. Admiral uh, Fennell for Promising Young Women. David Fincher for Make. Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. And... Thomas Vinterberg for another round. Uh, I think Chloe might win that one for Nomadland. Yeah. And for Best Actor, we have Riz Ahmed for The Sound of Metal, the first act, uh, uh, actor of Egyptian descent to be nominated for, I hate that I didn't for Best see Actor. see that one. I hate it. We're probably going to have to watch it like sometime this week. Yeah, we are for sure. Uh, the late, great Chadwick Boseman was nominated mm-hmm. for uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Steven, Steven Yeun for Minari. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And lastly, Best Actress, Viola, Davi- Viola Davis for Ma Rainey Black Bottom, Andre Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, which I need to check that out. I heard that's really good. I think that's on Amazon Prime. Uh, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of Woman, Francis McDermott for Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Women. That's Best, best Actress. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so we'll see like i said we're recording it on the night of the oscars so yeah so we could be watching it right now but we're over here entertaining you guys so. yeah so we'll definitely check it out we'll probably do some updates on uh, the social then you know see what surprises come out of that uh tonight mm-hmm, that's right that's right okay the world's most favorite segment it is glo what does that stand for ricardo good looking otters Good looking out also as well. Sticking on to the topics of uh, the 93rd Oscars, uh, some of the ones that we didn't talk about were the nominees for Best best Animated Pictures. And this year I actually watched two of the nominees for Best Animated uh, Pictures and it was Wolf Walkers and Over the Moon. So Wolf Walkers is available on Apple TV, which fun fact, you don't actually have to have an iPhone to watch. You don't. So I've learned. And uh, Over the Moon was available on Netflix. Wolf Walkers is uh, it's a animated Celtic fantasy story about this little girl named Robin and her dad Bill that 
are responsible for killing off a bunch of uh, wolves like outside of their town. So she encounters this uh, this wolf named Mabe, and it turns out that she's not a wolf at all, but she is a wolf walker, which means that she is human, but when she falls asleep, she turns into a wolf until she wakes up. So from then on, she basically goes on an adventure to track down where Mabe's mother is, because she's trying to get the wolves out of harm's way from all of these people within her town that are trying to kill them off, right? And I will say that the things that I loved about this movie is the soundtrack, amazing. It's beautiful, beautiful music. And the animation is like some is close to the likes of things that I've never seen. The way that, you know, they shoot certain parts of the story, like when... Uh, Robin is in the school for girls or whatever and she's doing her chores and stuff it's like it's almost like they have it in a very cathedral style of animation and it is just phenomenally beautiful this movie is a little slow to start I will say that to me I didn't really get hooked until like about 40 minutes into it but once you do like you are glued to the TV because it deals with, even though it's like an animation, it deals with a lot of really strong philosophical subjects. And I think that if you're in the mood to like watch something that is very action and adventure but also makes you think, this is a strong contender. And I give it a solid like 7 out of 10 Veronica stars. Along with that, uh, I also have just quickly Over the Moon. This is a uh, also another nominee for uh, Best Animated Pictures for the Oscars. It's on Netflix. The voice actors for this one is a lot of really famous people. Philippa Sue from Hamilton, Sandra Oh from Grey's Anatomy, Ken Jeong from Community. And basically it tells a story of Fei-Fei, which is a little girl that lives with her dad after her mom passes away. Years later, when her dad starts to, you know, remarry or look into remarrying, she goes on a quest to basically hunt down this moon goddess who took a potion for her immorta immortality and goes on an adventure to prove that she is real along with her soon-to-be stepbrother, Chin. So the point of Over the Moon for me was that it's a movie about moving on from tragedies, you know, both familial and romantic ones, like getting good amount of closure and embracing the new experiences that are in front of you. So uh, this one, I know that Over the Moon, personally, I have a lot of friends that really loved this movie, that really cried when they watched it. As far as popular opinion goes, Over the Moon is the strongest contender right now, and I really liked it as well, too. So those are my two for good looking out. That is great. I'm really interesting about the uh, the uh, Wolfwalker one. That one mm -hmm. sounds really interesting. I still have it on rent. You can watch it. I'm going to have to check that one yeah. out. So that was just exclusive to Apple TV, you said? I like how the, the other one was Over the Moon, uh -huh. and we've been watching that anime today called uh, Tony Kawa, Over the Moon for You. Oh, Hello. is it? Oh, yeah. see, I didn't even notice. That's, you were watching it. Yeah. I've been doing You were watching stuff. some of it. You eh, been, I saw you laughing. Eh, you over here trying to be cool and pass it off. But eh, I, 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 I saw the chuckle. I saw the... Uh, the the little uh the sparkle in your eyes of some scenes okay whatever it's cliche but whatever it's not cliche it's a really great anime series but that's not what we're here to talk about uh, -huh. uh we are here to talk about another anime one of the biggest of the past couple of years mm -hmm. came out in october in japan exclusively last year uh and broke box office records it is now to this date the highest grossing japanese film ever ever it's wild stuff I'm talking about the brand new Demon Slayer movie, Mugen Train. Just came out a couple days ago in America. And folks, it is incredible. It is beautiful. It is riveting. It is emotional. It's everything you want out of um, an anime film, in my opinion. Is it the greatest? No. No. But if you're a, a, <laughs> if you're a Demon Slayer fan and you enjoy that action play shonen, but also those very heartfelt moments, this is definitely the uh, movie for you. So for people who don't know, most times anime movies are kind of spinoffs. They're kind of like their own separate story being told in between the main series of like the manga or the anime. Not this one, however. This actually continues where season one left off. If people don't know, Demon Slayer currently only has one season and now they have the movie, which picks up exactly where they left off. And it's a continuation within the manga of what happens. Um, from what I've read... The creators felt that because the arc within the manga was so short, they decided to condense it into a movie. So instead of mm -hmm. stretching it out into season two, they decided, okay, this will work better with the movie. 
And so, yeah, they released it that way. If you've been keeping up with Demon Slayer, you kind of know the events that have unfolded that led to this point and just how the cast of characters, you know, the, if, you're, if you're familiar with the characters, you know, they still continue a lot of the same uh, building within them, the same kind of trope, same kind of comedy style, uh, a lot of comedy style. I, I for one, uh, chuckled a, a lot of time, but I also cried like twice. You did. Yeah. You I, did. I was about to mention that if you did. Yes, you I did. I, I did. did. sit next to me and you did cry. I cried twice. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, and just, just some of those moments that really take you back to what the series is ultimately all about this 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 kid you know i think that and veronica i remember brought this up is that you know these are kids at the end of the day who are like taking on this like grand grand task of like avenging their their life in some way you know right now it's it's really on tangito you know the, yeah. ma- the main protagonist um trying to avenge the death of his family and trying to uh make sure that his sister uh nezuko is turned back into a um a proper human because right now she is a demon but she's on the good side. So if you if you've seen anime, you know you know how we got to this point. If you haven't, uh, would you say that uh, people need to watch the anime to fully appreciate the movie? I would say yeah, for full appreciation, yes. Yeah. I would say if you really want to like get hooked and feel that emotional roller coaster that I had, mm-hmm. then yes, definitely watch season one. But if you want to cry at the movie, you need to watch the anime. But if you want to watch itself as a very separate contained piece then you will still get a lot out of it. But the, there's so much in season one that matter that lead up to this point and a lot of character development that it's very important to understand how these characters are and why they are that way. Uh, so yes, definitely highly recommend you haven't seen season one. It's 26 episodes, a lot of great episodes. Season one's fantastic. Like I said, not, it's not the best thing, but it is a great, great series. The movie and myself met all expectations. And all I can say in the end is, Rengoku, 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 you are incredible. Uh, you have my heart. Mm-hmm. The way it ended was just, I wanted more out of him, but uh-huh. I understand how things went. So, yeah. I um, feel like you're going to cry right now. I'm not about to cry now. Yeah. But but it's a great, great, great movie. Anime fans, Demon Slayer fans, you'll, you'll love it. 9 out of 10. Yeah. You know me, I'm just now recently like dipping my toes in when it comes to anime and all of that stuff. And uh, Demon Slayer is one that I'm actually fully caught up with right now. And with Tanjaro, I have such a big attachment to him because of like his heart. He sees literally the good soul in everyone. And that's what gets me really attach the character in and of itself. And also, shout out to the boy that is not afraid to cry. That boy cries like in almost every single episode, in every single movie, and it doesn't make him, you know what I really appreciate about Tanjiro's character? The other characters never perceive him as weak. If anything, they just see that he has that much soul. He has that much emotion. They see him as a threat, almost. Like the enemies. They see him like, oh, crap, this guy is strong. This this guy is intense. He's so intense that he cannot contain, uh, like, his emotions. And they come out as waterworks. And I find that so fucking inspiring because, you know me, I'm I'm a fucking crier. Like, all the way through. I'll cry over anything. And I find it really refreshing when I see something in media that even if it is just an animation where, you know, the main character, the, the quote-unquote strong one, cries all the time and not just as a comic relief moment, but as a moment of like, hey, I am feeling so much and this matters to me so much and I'm not afraid to show you how important this is and how much I'm going to do to fight for it and keep it and preserve it and all of this, that, and the other. And I love it. I really do. Yeah, and especially, you know, that one part in the film, they went inside, well, that's boring, they went inside Tanjiro. Mm-hmm. And remember what when they went inside, it was nothing but peace, yeah, and serenity. Yeah, his soul was beautiful, bruh. Beautiful. Yeah, but we're not we're not gonna give all of that away, yeah. you know. But but I'm glad you brought that up uh, mm-hmm. about him. And like I said, this is like encouraging people to like watch the show if you haven't. Is that Tanjiro is, and I think that's why people love the show so much. Is that Tanjiro is very different from typical shonen uh, protagonists. Where yeah, like, like Naruto, like like you know, like Luffy from One Piece, like Naruto, mm. like even some more modern ones, like um, uh, like uh, like Black Clover and stuff like that. But that where and he reminds me a lot of like of like Gon from like Hunter Hunter because like it's this like kid, this character, the main character that doesn't take himself to be like this. But he doesn't let the machismo of things wash over him, or like the over like ego like get to him, or mm-hmm. where it's like I'm gonna be the one to save the world, I'm gonna be this. 
Yeah. Where you really see that internal struggle where it's like, you know, we saw it in the movie and we see it in the series where it's like, I wish things weren't the way they were. Yeah. I wish I, I wish I could go back to normal. Yeah. You know, and he longs for that, but he knows that he will never get that back. And it's like, I have to continue and make the people that I'm around now proud. So I think that's the uh, the attachment I think a lot of people get is that he doesn't see himself as like bigger than anybody else, but mm-hmm. just somebody that's been giving the opportunity to make a difference. It, and it's vulnerability at the end of the day. It's like modern day um, vulnerability. I know I'm going to get like a little geeky about it, but it's just like Brene Brown says, you know, the psychologist, it's like, I and I hope that anime keeps this up like this growing trope of having these main male protagonists that exhibit vulnerability and tears and showing how important something is to them not just through like aggression and machismo and you know uh and through power but actual physical and emotional strength you know and i just i that's why i love the character so yeah yeah no i enjoyed myself too so uh, wait how many do you get those sources again nine out of ten okay gotcha and with that, human beings, that is our show. Y uh, recuerda a suscribir a todos los canales y compartir en todos los redes sociales también. So don't forget to share and like on Facebook, Twitter, and also if you can, go ahead, do do us a smidgen of a favor and just write us, you know, a little something on uh, iTunes. You know, it would mean the world. It really, really would. But uh, that was our show. Thanks so much. We will see you next week. We out. Woo!